You want to identify the mission, identify the strategy, develop systems that's going to execute the strategies, formulate the structure, and cultivate the culture. This is Blair Durham with Black Wall Street Today, your media hub for all things black entrepreneurship, politics, news, and events in Hampton Roads and beyond. When I say black, y'all say Wall Street. Black. Wall Street. Black Wall Street. When I say black, y'all say Wall Street. Black. Black. Test, test. Okay. Um, want to go ahead and introduce our speaker for greetings, the day. Greetings, um, for those greetings, that don't know, greetings. we happen to be privileged to have Mr. J.R. Locke with us. Um, he is the executive director of the Project Inclusion Program that Antoine Hines just spoke about. Uh, he also is the former executive director of Hampton University's uh, Business Incubator. Um, he currently serves in a development role with the university, and he is a nonprofit guru, if I, if I could say that myself. <laughs> <laughs> so at this time, and without further ado, Mr. J.R. Locke, help us, sir. <laughs> well, good morning. So it's a real pleasure to be here this morning because I get excited anytime I have an opportunity to speak to groups about empowering themselves. And as, um, as Blair indicated, yeah, I've been involved with uh, several different opportunities here in Hampton Roads. I do want to take this opportunity to thank Blair and Black Grant for having me here this morning. And I think everybody here needs to give yourself a round of applause just for being here today. Because anytime we can come together and network and really plan on how we can advance our community, that really motivates me and gets me excited. We're going to have a, that's what I call a whirlwind presentation this morning, because I'm going to provide you with an overview of board governance that really is the foundation of the leadership program that Blair mentioned, Project Inclusion Leadership Development Program that's sponsored by the United Way of Southampton Roads. And that is a 13-week program. And guess what? You guys are gonna get it in 30 minutes. <laughs> so you're gonna get the accelerated version. And the program actually is in its 24th year. We're preparing for our 24th annual class. And we have truly been blessed because when we started this program you know, 24 years ago, it was with a lot of reluctance and hesitancy because people were saying, well, is it going to be well-received to start a diversity program in Hampton Roads, Virginia? Virginia is in the South. And we're talking about a diversity program? JR, are you sure you want to do this? I said, well, I think it's a great idea to have a program that's going to empower people in their communities. I mean, how, how, how wrong can that be? And I said, well, let's go for it. And so we planned for 35 people to enroll in that first class. And I tell you, it was a real blessing because we had over 100 applications for that first class of Project Inclusion. And we had three years of people being on the waiting list. And so things sort of kind of smoothed out after the first three years where we have averaged at least 30 people or more every year since 1997. And that's been a real blessing. So as I 
go through this this morning. I just want to tell you um, the handouts that you guys have basically have my background material. And uh, I've served on a number of boards, uh, locally as well as state boards. And I've always had a fascination for board of directors. Because early on in life, when I went to college, I went to Idaho State University. And it wasn't many of us in Idaho. <laughs> but what I was able to see is that the structure of the university centered around students serving on boards. And they basically controlled everything that happened at the university. And so I said, I want to be a part of that structure. And I got involved with different boards and it really helped open my eyes because as, as I started looking at other boards, nonprofit boards, corporate boards, and then we got the two largest boards in America, which is the United States Congress and the Senate. Those are basically just two big boards of directors. And so when you look at it, boards govern every aspect of our lives. I mean, you sit here in this room, you know, the, the place that you're eating off of, I mean, they're manufactured by somebody. There's a manufacturing board of directors that talks about what's, what's going to be the quality control aspects of how those plates are made, how these chairs are made, you know, the paint that's on the walls. Every, every aspect of our lives is governed by a board. I mean, the parks that your children play in, somebody is sitting around the table deciding where are those parks are going to be placed. Now, what I've been able to see throughout history, boards is not the kind of thing that you can invite yourself to. And you can't say that, hey, I'm going to go crash the board meeting. You have to be invited. And typically, we have been excluded from those opportunities because when the chair of the board asks, well, who do you know might be a good candidate for our board? Most of those boards have been typically predominantly white. And so those individuals say, well, I know Johnny. He's a good guy. Well, call him up. Invite him to a meeting. And Johnny gets supporters of the board. But oftentimes, we don't, get, we don't get those appointments because people don't think about us. Because those individuals serving on those boards, we're not in their circles. And so historically, people that have served on boards have been serving because of the people that's already there. And they just think about the friends and people that they know. So Project Inclusion, it was designed to help diversify those nonprofit boards of directors throughout Hampton Roads. And when we started the program, we surveyed over 65 nonprofit organizations and found that there was about 23% diversity on those boards, which wasn't too bad. Actually, it was, it was surprising to me. I thought it was lower than that. But when you look at the minority population in Hampton Roads, we represented about 33%. Now it's up to about 35%. So we started the program with a benchmark and a goal to say that we wanted those nonprofit boards to mirror the communities that they serve. And so we set a goal of 33% of board diversity on nonprofits. And the last time we surveyed the boards was about, which was about five years ago, we were up from 23% to 30%. So project inclusion is working. So I always like to see, when I speak in front of a room here, to see how many people here have are graduates of project inclusion. Raise your hand. 
Okay. Let's say go, Antoine, Lanika. Because invariably, we, as Antoine indicated, we have over 800 graduates. And so there's not many audiences that I can go to today where I can ask, is there any project including graduates in the room? And somebody doesn't raise a hand. So it's been a well-received program. And to give a quick plug infomercial, we are recruiting for the 24th annual class. The deadline is Tuesday, January the 21st. And these applications that Antoine is showing you are the applications. You can go online, unitedwayshr.org, and download the applications. And I just checked this morning. We have about 23 applicants that's already signed up. And again, our goal is about 30 applicants. So if you're interested, please fill out an application and we'll we'll be glad to have you. (laughs) All right. So if you want to go ahead and click there, Antoine. So when you start talking about boards, the purpose of a board, some people don't really understand what do boards do. Because oftentimes when you have conflict in nonprofit organizations, it usually evolves between the board of directors, the president, CEO, or the executive director, or the staff. One of those three components usually is at the, the foundation of a problem. If there's any miscommunication, any conflict, it's usually through one of those three pillars within a nonprofit. So you talk about stewardship. Your boards have a primary purpose that they want to make sure that the money raised is used for the purpose that the nonprofit went out and asked for money. That's a, a problem that's, that's too common with nonprofit organizations. They go out and ask for money, but then somewhere along the line, somebody has an idea that they've done well in fundraising for the year, and somebody says something to the tune of, well, let's, let's treat the board to a Redskins game. And someone else says, hey, that's a great idea. We, we work hard this year. And then you have somebody on the board says, well, wait a minute. That, that, those, those are nonprofit funds. You know, these are part of the funds that we went out and asked money for scholarships. We can't use that money to go to the game. So you really have to be very, very serious about serving on the board and you have to ask questions because ideas come up and so you're there to ensure that you are spending the money for the purposes in which you raise the money. Boards have a specific purpose of policy development where they oversee the organization's legal, constitutional, and financial requirements, making sure those are met. Uh, You can be a governor's board. Uh, Many of the city commissions and state commissions primarily our governing boards that looks at just the way those individuals, they don't fundraise, but they, they govern city and state policies. Then you have effective functioning, helping the organization achieve its goal, plan, evaluate, participate in meetings, and committee assignments. So the primary purpose, if you don't remember anything that I said today, board's primary uh, purpose is to develop and enforce policy. Now, I know some of you are eating today, so you may not get all this out, but I just want everybody to repeat that. Board's primary purpose is to develop and 
enforce policy. That's it. That's the primary function of boards of directors. Next slide up. So the board is a group of people legally charged with the responsibility of governing the organization. Next slide. So you can have boards as managers, planners, and as communicators. Because as managers, again, you're overseeing the policies that you develop and you're enforcing. You're communicating to the community the value of that organization's mission and purpose. And so those are just some very distinct responsibilities that you have. So the keys to board failure evolve around lack of capital, low board morale, people not really understanding the mission of the organization, insufficient strategic planning, because you'd be surprised how many organizations don't have a strategic plan. Or if they do have a strategic plan, you ask them, well, when the last time you looked at it? People, well, it's been about four or five years ago. That's not good. I mean, you should review your strategic plan at least every couple of years. Some organizations review them every year, but on average, every couple of years is really a good timeline. Then limited community support. You know, people don't really know what you're doing, then they can't support you. So you have to have a good marketing plan, a good community outreach strategy to let people know what you're doing. And then a conflicted role between the board and the CEO. Unfortunately, that happens because the board overstepped its boundaries because they want to they want to manage the day-to-day operations of the organization. Not understanding that that's why they hired the CEO to manage the day-to-day. But sometimes boards, they kind of get a little bit um, overzealous, let's say, and things come up because somebody on the staff they know someone on the board, so they call them up and says, Hey, Seiko, uh, did you know that um, Julie was late five times last week? And the executive director didn't say anything about it. And Seiko says, Really? I'm going to bring that up at the board meeting. So now the CEO comes into the meeting, Seiko brings it up, and she says, um, well, Wait a minute, nobody told me about this. So now you have a riff. Because the CEO feels like she was blindsided because the board member took a call from the staff person and brought it to the board meeting without her knowledge of it. That happens too often. And it's really out of protocol. Because first of all, you really can't do anything about a staff member if they have a relationship with a board member. They may easily call that person. But it's the board member's responsibility to understand the protocol that you just don't bring an issue to the board meeting without letting the CEO know what's going on. That's how you mitigate situations like that. And then lack of commitment is a key to board failure. You have people that come to meetings and they don't really ask questions. They're just there. They got their name on letterhead. They tell people, I'm on the board of so-and-so. Because being on a board, you know, it's kind of a big deal. You know, when you can tell somebody, I'm on the board of directors of so-and-so, people look at you a little differently. And they say, okay, this this person's kind of important. And sometimes we say impotent. So you have to take it very seriously to understand that you have a role to play in ensuring 
that the things that you do are always going to be in good taste and in, in a leadership capacity. So when you look at the key organizational roles, you know, the board works as a team. Every individual board member has their own responsibility to make sure that the board functions properly. Then you have an administrator's role, you have the responsibility of committees, relationships between board and staff. I mean, these are just key elements that helps govern the, the, the properly govern the efficiency of most boards of directors. Next. So when you look at the 10 basic responsibilities of any nonprofit, I mean, it doesn't matter, any nonprofit, you, know, you have these basic 10 responsibilities. To start with, you want to determine the organization's mission and purpose. You want to select the chief executive. You support the chief executive and evaluate performance. You ensure effective organizational planning. Ensure adequate resources. Next slide. You want to manage those resources effectively. You want to determine, monitor, strengthen the organization's program and services. You want to make sure that the community understands the value that you're bringing. So you always want to be an advocate for that nonprofit. You want to ensure legal and ethical integrity, and you want to maintain accountability. One of the things I've seen serving on boards is that sometimes people don't understand just because it's legal doesn't really mean that it's ethical. So you have to make sure that you're, you're always listening and look at those fine lines because you know, you'll sit there and somebody says, well, we can do that. It's in the bylaws. It's legal. And somebody says, well, you know, is, it, is it ethical that we want to do those things? Then you want to recruit and orient new board members and assess board performance. You know, too often when new members come on a board, they just get invited. People get invited to boards either because of where they work, how much money they got, how big their checkbook is. And so sometimes they get invited not really understanding what the role is. So I want to ask you, how many of you have ever served on a board? Raise your hand. Okay, most of you. How many of you have ever heard of Project Inclusion? Raise your hand. Most of you, okay. How many of you have served on a state board or a city board or commission? Raise your hand. Okay, just a couple of you. So when you look at those city boards and commissions and state boards and commissions, I mean, here, again, is another population of people who sit around the table and make policies and decisions that impact your life. So when someone talks about, well, why don't we have a park in our neighborhood? Who decides that? Somebody that's on the Parks and Recreation Board. So if you really are concerned about that there are not enough parks in our neighborhoods, it's not enough to just go and complain to your city council. Maybe you should try to get on the Parks and Recreation Board. Because every city has one. So there are opportunities that exist every day 
that people are sitting around the table making decisions that's impacting your life. And it's any given area. If you don't like the reason that your streets are not being paved, there are too many potholes in your neighborhood. The planning board, city planning board, they make those decisions. They schedule when the, those streets will get paved. If your street light is out, how I many of you had a street light out in your neighborhood and you wonder, how come nobody's coming to fix it? Okay? Many of us have experienced that. Well, there's somebody that's sitting around the table making decisions on when will those things get scheduled. So I really want to encourage you to take a closer look at the city boards and commissions and to see are there any boards and commissions that you may have an interest in in serving. The same with state. I mean, do you know there's an a egg board for the Commonwealth of Virginia? Yeah, somebody's sitting around the table determining, all right, what's going to be the, how, how will these eggs be distributed? You know, are these eggs coming from, from producers that are using too many chemicals? I mean, you will be surprised. They have what they call a blue book. Commonwealth of Virginia has a blue book. And it lists all of the state boards and commissions. You can Google it and go to the state website. It has all those boards and commissions listed. There are people who are serving on those boards just like you and I. Those are governor-appointed positions. And we have been very fortunate that Project Inclusion has been so widely and well-received that the governor has come to us asking us, can we refer anybody to fill out an application to sit on a board or commission? Has to be appointed by the governor. I was fortunate enough to get appointed to the state regulatory board of physical therapy. And it was really fascinating because I was involved with a group that was monitoring the activities of physical therapists in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Cases that came before us because there was some misconduct by a therapist. I don't know how many of you have been watching CNN recently where Andrew Yang's wife is suing someone for misconduct of her gynecologist. But those are the kind of cases that came before us as a physical therapy board. We had to really hold hearings and evaluate whether or not somebody's complaint was valid or not. And some of the cases, if it got past a certain process where you have a preliminary investigation, uh, we actually had to have some, a hearing that was similar to a court where they brought in a lawyer and we had the state commonwealth attorney prosecuting that physical therapist. So some of these board positions and involvement that you may encounter really can be very enlightening and it's a good experience because you meet a lot of different people. And most of you in here are entrepreneurs. And so what's the common theme that we all have heard? Doesn't really, doesn't really matter what you do, but it's not who you know. No, it's not what you know, 
But it's what? Who you know? So that's one thing that's an advantage about sitting on a board is that you meet some really influential people. So keep that in mind. Next slide. So when you look at organizational hierarchy, the key to success in having a strong board is having a good, strong board of directors, you know, a, a competent president, CEO, good managerial staff, good admin staff. Next slide. So you want to make sure that people understand the expectations of the board. You want to have the expectation of the chair, the CEO, the staff, and you need to understand what's the expectation of the community for that particular nonprofit organization. What do people expect of you and the services that you're going to offer? Next slide. So when you unlock the keys to success, you want to look at outcome measures. Everybody know what outcome measures are? The results of what your services are trying to achieve. How do you measure that? How do you know when your nonprofit is doing a good job? You know, are you keeping track of how many people are a recipient of the services that you offer? Are you doing any kind of surveys with those uh, with your clients to see whether or not they're getting any value out of the services that you provide? Those are outcome measures. And so you want to make sure that you have some type of you know, metrics in place that you can track that and measure it the best way that you can. And then you want to have a good public relations campaign. You want to have strong resource development. Nonprofits oftentimes have a hard time because they don't have enough money. That's resource development. Making sure that you have good fundraising strategies in place so you can raise money to support the mission. And then you want to have strong committees with organizational goals, have different chairs for those committees. Uh, the committees need to have goals because that's really what's going to determine the efficiency of your end product. And that's the service that you're offering. Next slide. Then you want to have a dedicated board. Competent CEO, enthusiastic staff, clear vision and goals, adequate funding, community support. Make sure you have training in place so that when new employees come on, you need to train them to make sure that they know what to do. Too many times, particularly in nonprofits, because they do struggle for money, they'll hire somebody and, all right, if you need, any, need anything, come talk to me. You know, put, just put them out there and tell them to go to work. And if people are not trained properly, then you're really setting them up for failure as well as your nonprofit. And then you want to make sure you have commitment and loyalty and support from the staff. Next slide. So this is a board performance chart that some organizations are beginning to implement. And it's really a scorecard that identifies how effective board members have been. And so now you, you want to show what those skills and qualities are, you know, uh, having time to volunteer. Do you attend meetings? What type of program expertise do you have? You know, are you a team player? Expertise on other boards. What are your fundraising skills? Meeting facilitation skills. Do you have any accounting 
and financial skills, marketing skills, uh, do you make financial contributions? And just to talk about that for a minute, you know, some boards do have a financial requirement that every board member needs to have a financial assessment to be on the board. Now, some people say, well, I really can't afford to be on the board because some requirements for some boards is $1,000, some are $500, some are $100, some are $10,000. So you have to get in where you fit in. All right, it's no point of you trying to get on a board and they tell you that's a $10,000 requirement and you can't afford that. If you can, that's great. The reason that's so important when you go out fundraising, because funders want to know what's the commitment of the board. Before I give you any money, do you have 100% participation? They don't ask how much every board member is giving. They want to know, do you have 100% commitment from your board? So if you're sitting on a board and you feel like you can't meet that financial obligation and you have the, I guess, the ideology that, well, I'm giving my time. I'm committing my time to the organization. I'm not going to pay that assessment then you're really doing a disservice to the board because it might be harming them as they go out and fill out a grant or they find a donor and not being able to report that they have 100% participation. So that's why that's so vitally important. If you can't meet that requirement, do the best you can. Give something. But just don't, do not just not give anything. All right, next slide. So what does a perfect board member look like? All right, click it again. Click the arrow. Okay. That wasn't there, huh? Hmm. The cybersecurity is playing tricks on us. All right, the perfect board member is somebody... Well, first of all, I guess I could say there is no perfect board member. But a good board member attends meetings. You can't have a board meeting without board members. And that's one of the biggest challenges that nonprofits have is that people don't show up. I mean, imagine here today if two people came. I mean, those two individuals would have gotten a lot of good information. But as an organization, does that make people feel like they were successful in having this event today if only two people showed up? No. Same way with board meetings. And then it becomes vitally important because oftentimes in your bylaws, it states that in order for you to ratify any policies and vote on things, you have to have a certain percentage of board members present. Sometimes it's 50%, sometimes it's two-thirds, sometimes it's the majority, just depending upon what your bylaws indicate. But you can't conduct business unless you have people in place. So if you're going to make a commitment to serve on a board, that's one of the things I try to do 
My wife complains to me sometimes because she said, you know, you're gone all the time. Well, that's because I have a strong commitment to being there. If I'm going to tell somebody I'm going to serve on the board, my first commitment is making sure that I go to meetings because I understand the value of being there. You really can't conduct business if you don't have board members to show up. Also, a good board member is somebody that gives not only their time, their treasure, they also give their talent. They volunteer for things. It can get very frustrating when you're in the leadership of an organization and you're deciding on a project and you want to set up committees and you ask, who can I ask to chair the public relations committee? and nobody raised their hand. Or you ask, who can I get to chair the fundraising committee? And nobody raised their hand. A good board member volunteers. You don't have to ask that person. They'll volunteer and say, I'll, I'll do that. Now, of course, you don't want to be someone that overcommits yourself, but you have to always be willing to try to help out where you can because that's the essence of making the organization work. You, you want to have good board members who are not afraid to step up to the plate and volunteer. Also, a good board member is a good advocate, a good community advocate. That person is going to go out and talk about your organization and the value and the service that they bring to the community. That's what helps out in fundraising. You're putting articles in the newspaper. You know, as a board member, you don't have to always wait for the staff to perform that function. As a board member, you can tell the executive director, look, I'd like to write a story and submit it to the journal and guide or submit it to the messenger or submit it to the Virginian pilot about our organization. Those are the kind of things that good board members do. So here's the triple L, limit legal liability. So you want to provide written notification of meetings. Bylaws may state that in order to have a meeting that you must notify people 30 days in advance. Or you must notify people 10 days in advance in writing. You want to ensure minutes are approved by the board. They are legal documents. Some organizations really, they kind of slack in this area because they don't take good minutes. So what typically happens is that when you get to the next meeting and you start going through the agenda, you find out you're talking about the same things you talked about the last meeting because you didn't keep good minutes. And you, you start asking questions like, well, wait, who was supposed to do this? Who was supposed to go out and find this vendor? Who's chairing this committee? When you keep good minutes, I mean, those are just good record keeping to let you know what have been decided in the previous meeting so you can use that as a foundation in the next meeting. You want to make sure you state motions clearly and record votes. You want to prepare and submit reports in time, distribute budgets and reports, balance sheets at regular intervals, ensure all federal, state, and 
Local financial obligations are current. We're going to hire qualified staff. We're going to make sure that board actions are in compliance with the bylaws. Be sure members of the auditing firm are not on the board. I guess we all know why that's important. <laughs> like the chicken garden or hen house. So when you do an audit, you want to make sure it's an outside organization that's doing an audit. And then you want to conduct audits annually. How are we doing on time, Blair? Blair. Doing great? Okay. All right, so goal setting. You want to see the vision. And that really pertains to anything that you do. When you identify what you want to do, it's important that you see it. You can see what it should look like. Because if you can't see what it should look like, then how are you going to convey to somebody else what it should look like? You want to identify the mission, identify the strategy, develop systems that's going to execute the strategies, formulate the structure, and cultivate the culture. I mean, these are elements that all organizations need to practice and adopt in order to operate efficiently. Next slide. So in conclusion, boards meet, they subdivide into committees to get complications issues ready for discussions. They prepare, they discuss, disagree, and decide. An efficient board will have committees meet in between meetings. So that the committee can go out and do the research, discuss the pros and cons on why should or they shouldn't take a particular action, and bring back that report to the board to decide. What typically happens is that people want to discuss why they should or should not do it in the meeting. And what happens then when that happens? Draws out the meetings. What else? A lot of different opinions. What else? Snowballs and other topics. People get off track. But also, it alienates people. Those people who know how it should work, they tend to not want to be involved because they feel like they're wasting my time. Maybe I'll come back and help them out when they get it together because they're wasting my time. And so that's why you want to make sure that you have policies and procedures that are set in place, that you have committees that's going to go out and do the work, do the research, because the board is designed to, de to develop and enforce policy. So... When the committees come back with their results, you're in a position to vote on it. They're telling you what the pros and cons are. It puts you in a much better position to make an intelligent decision when you got the information when somebody's gone out and already done the research. With a carefully organized agenda, and I believe all meetings need to have an agenda. That's one of my pet peeves. Antoine could probably tell you that. 
that if you're going to have a meeting, you need to have an agenda because you want to stay on track. It was mentioned earlier that you can easily start talking about other things. You want to take your place at the table. Again, boards impact so many areas of our life. And historically, we have not been at the table. There's too many areas that people are making decisions that impact our life, and we're not at the table. You know, when you look at nonprofit boards, it's gotten a lot better, but it still needs a lot of work. Corporate boards is even worse. I mean, on corporate boards, I mean, it's worse now than it was 20 years ago. 20 years ago, we had five African-American CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. Today, it's like three. Women, minority women serving on corporate boards. I mean, it's just dismal, dismal statistics. Because, again, we're not asked to serve in that capacity. So there are opportunities out there that we can elevate ourselves in the nonprofit community, on city boards and commissions, state boards and commissions. How many, how many of you know the process of getting on a city board or commission? Raise your hand. Okay? So most of you say, I don't have a clue how to get on the city board and commission. Well, part of that process, we teach in Project Inclusion, but just a brief answer on that is that I've had people to tell me, well, look, Virginia Beach, they don't want anybody on their board. They don't want minorities on their board because I applied and nobody called me. That's happened countless times. Whether it's Virginia Beach, Hampton, Newport News, Portsmouth, Chesapeake, it happens all the time. People submit applications and nobody calls them. And that's because nobody knows them. So if you're serious about getting on a board or a commission in a city, the first thing you need to do or you should do is find out who your city council person is. Who represents your district? So you can express to that person that you're interested in serving on a city board and commission. So at the city council meeting, when they go through the applications to see who's eligible, who's applied to serve, and somebody says, well, what's your name, sir? Lamont. What? Lamont. What's your last name? So when somebody says, who knows Lamont Johnson? Who knows Lamont Johnson? That's the same thing happened in council meetings. His application goes over here. File 13. And somebody says, who knows Anthony Epps? Who in here knows Anthony Epps? Raise your hand. All right. Somebody says, I know Anthony Epps. Great guy. Owns his own financial company. He would be great serving on, on this council. Anthony Epps' application goes over here. That's the process, folks. 
is not what you know, it's what? Who you know? Yes, ma'am, party. What you know? Who you know? <laughs> right. I like that. That's good. Who knows you? Okay, so next slide. You can make a difference. So here's the 13 essential qualities of a good team leader. All right, click. You want to know how to break the ice. Whether it's with your team, whether it's being on a board, you're a new member on the board. You want to know how to break the ice. What do you have in common with somebody else that you might be able to bring up? Same thing happens in your businesses when you're going out calling on new clients. And you walk into that person's office. How do you break the ice? You look around, see what's on the wall, see what maybe what school they attended. They participate in any sports. You might have in common. Oh, you're a tennis player. So am I. That's breaking the ice. You want to clear? Exactly. Common bond. Clear and open and honest communication with your team. You want to be fair and impartial. You want to be appreciative. How far does it go when somebody tells you, thank you for what you do? So as a good leader, you have to do the same thing. You have to tell people thank you, particularly in the volunteer community, because people are volunteering. I tell some of my colleagues all the time, they want to tell me, well, you need to, you need to tell someone so they need to get off the board. What? Get off the board? We're trying to find people to come on the board. <laughs> well, she's not doing anything. I just had somebody tell me this last week. <laughs> Only thing she wants to do is come take pictures. I said, well, look, let her take pictures. You know, we can find something for her to do. She may not do what you do. She may not do what I do. But whatever little bit that she does, let her take a picture. <laughs> it's okay. You want to have a source of positivity and enthusiasm. One of the things about serving on a board, and many of them, you may find yourself at a fundraising capacity. When you go out and have to talk about your nonprofit and ask somebody for some money, how much difference does it make if you're talking to them in a monotone voice to say, well, I've been on the board for about two years now, and it's okay. Now they do some good, we do some good things, so you think you could make a contribution to our organization versus someone that says, well, how you doing, Mr. Jones? My name is Brenda Johnson. I am really, really excited about this opportunity to talk to you about the YMCA because the Y does such great work. Are you familiar with the Y? Oh, a little bit. Well, let me tell you a little bit about it. I mean, it makes a difference in your enthusiasm and how you come across with that potential donor. So you want to focus and you want to evaluate you know, what your performance is, evaluate what your effective 
effectiveness is. If you're going out and talking to 10 people and nobody is remotely interested, then you need to evaluate your process. Evaluate what you're presenting. You want to be attentive and responsive? You want to be flexible. You want to be patient and understanding? You want to look at opportunities to improve yourself. You want to have a commitment. You want to have an action plan. And you want to demonstrate to other people that you are committed to what you're doing. That's vitally important. And then you want to be responsible and accountable. So those are traits of good leadership. And with that, next slide. I want to thank you. And as Marcus Garvey says, if you have no confidence in self, I want everybody to say this. If you have no confidence in self, you are twice defeated in the race of life. With confidence, you have won even before you started. Thank you. So, I guess at this time, Blair, we'll bring you back up. Much needed, right? You're awesome. Huh? All right, let's give our guest, JR. From Project Inclusion, a great round of applause. At this time, we're just going to get a chance to network a little bit uh, as we make our way out of here. This is what we do every month for our new guests. We thank you for coming out. And all right, remember to go on your phones, download the Apple Podcast app or the Google Podcast app. Look for Blair Durham. Look for the Black Wall Street Today podcast. It's a great podcast. I'm not just saying that because I'm the producer of it. But... It's a heck of a podcast, all right? So, download from Apple or Google, Black Wall Street Today with Blair Durham. We have 70 great episodes. Once again, the episode with George Frazier is the best performing. And if you haven't heard it, you got to hear it. Thank you for coming out. Peace. Thank you. Stay with us online at Black Wall Street Today on Facebook and Black Wall Street Today on Instagram. And then follow us on Twitter as well at BWS Today. We look forward to talking again next week. Have a wonderful week. I have said and I will continue to say that the most important priority for the black community is the black community, not a particular political party. Hey, yo, when I say black, you say Wall Street. Black, black Wall Street. When I say black, you say Wall Street. 